Hi, my name is Jen. I'm a holistic nurse practitioner, and I'm here to tell you that your body can heal. I've healed eight different chronic and autoimmune conditions that had me bedridden sick with little hope for my future in my 20s. I've created this podcast to inspire you and give you the tools to heal your body, your mind, your heart, your spirit, and your life. This podcast is for patients, practitioners, and people who want to listen from the place where spirit and science meet. As we heal our body, we have a body that moves well, thinks well, loves well, and that is a body we want to be in for this life to carry out our soul's work. I'm so glad you're here tuning in with us. Now let's get to this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Inspire Health by Jen podcast. I am so excited to introduce you to our guest, Dr. Donnie, today. She is a wealth of knowledge, a thought leader in the space, and a soul that I just feel really aligned with and helping women get their life back and healing their bodies from the inside out. She has the most uplifting information to share with us. Well, let me give you a little bit about my friend, Dr. Donnie. She's been in practice for more than 22 years, helping thousands of patients overcome health challenges that have been considered irreversible in the mainstream medical narrative. She's cured herself from chronic debilitating migraines. And in this process, she's discovered her patent pending protocol, which she's going to tell us a little bit about today. Dr. Donnie, she is a wealth of knowledge. As I said, she has a doctorate in naturopathic medicine. She's also a certified professional midwife. So has a birth and especially women's health background. She's a certified nutrition specialist, and she has a degree in both nutrition and science. She's an author. She is all over Instagram. The internet is a thought leader helping women address their issues at the root cause, HPV, which we're definitely going to dive in today, adrenal health hormones, MTHFR, your gut health, and she has her own podcast that you might check out as well, How Humans Heal. And today I'm just so grateful that she's been able to set aside some time in her home in Long Island to meet with us today. So Dr. Donnie, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much, Jen. I'm excited to get to talk with you and share with your audience. Thank you. I started following you on Instagram not that long ago. And as I was watching your post and the way you talk about chronic conditions and your belief in the body's ability to heal, and you were talking about viruses, I was like, I was like, is anyone seeing this? I was like, she sees it too. This is so cool. And so you really are in my mind and my lens, the resident expert on healing HPV. So can you tell us just a little bit about HPV, just for people like, what is that? Or for those women who are like, I know that I have that, just a little nugget on it. And then I want to hear all about your healing journey as well. Oh, thank you. Uh, so, well, HPV is human papilloma virus. It, we speak about it as if it's a single virus and really there's over a hundred different strains mm -hmm. of the HPV virus. And a lot of women find out that they have HPV when they go in for a pap smear and then the results come back and the doctor might call you and say, oh, your pap is fine or maybe has an abnormality and you have and you're HPV positive. And so that's a lot of times when women first hear about it and they're like, I have what? And it's very, it can be very shocking and confusing. 
it's it's something that can just sound scary. If you don't know anything about it, you get it on your pap. And what is your doctor most likely going to recommend if you have that come back on your pap screen, your pap smear? So it depends a bit. And, um, and the guidelines are always kind of changing. And so sometimes it varies from practitioner to practitioner and from country to country. I work with women from around the world. Um, and one thing to know is that in years past, we only tested for HPV if there were abnormal cells on the pap smear. So say you go for a pap smear and if it's, all the cells look normal, sometimes you don't hear anything from your doctor and they probably would not have tested for HPV at that time. Now it's becoming a standard in most countries in the world to automatically test for HPV when they do the pap. So it's two separate tests, but they can do them together. And so more often now women are finding out that they're positive for HPV even when they have no abnormal cells on the cervix mm. or vaginally. And so you might, you know, you might just find out, oh, it's HPV positive and it's not, because what happens is certain strains of HPV can cause abnormal cells on the cervix, vaginal tissue. It can also cause abnormal cells rectally and orally. So that's where it becomes that fear factor comes up, right? Because find out, oh, there's certain higher risk types of HPV that can not only cause abnormal cells, but potentially be causing cancer cells. And so for women to find out, like what most women say to me, is they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have this virus that has the potential to cause cancer. And then oftentimes your doctor will just say, come back and we'll recheck your pap smear in six months or a year. And women are like, wait a minute, how can I just walk around day to day knowing that I have this virus that could potentially cause cancer? I'm not okay with that. And this is a relatively new, if you can imagine like 20 years ago, women were less likely to say something. They, women were less likely to not be okay with that. And I think that shows that there is really a shift in, in the, in, and I'm so glad for that, that women are now saying, no, this is not okay with me. I I want to be proactive about my health. And so I think the way women are shifting our views about our own ways we can be willing to take care of our health and take care of our lives is is going to change the way medicine is delivered eventually. But right now, doctors will still you they don't have a treatment for HPV. There's not a you don't there's not a antiviral pill you can take that will kill HPV, for example. Yeah. So there's, so the doctors don't have a prescription or something they can give you to treat the HPV. So they say, just come back and we'll see if the virus causes abnormal cells. What about some of the immunizations that doctors are suggesting for HPV? Like how effective are those? Should we consider those? What are the risks? Well, so there's uh, the standard Gardasil vaccine that currently is available covers nine types of HPV. And as we talked about, there's way more than nine. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think, you know, we will also with research be discovering that there are other high risk strains that can cause abnormalities we might not know about yet. So just to know that the vaccine covers only certain strains and just like all vaccines, it's not 100% effective. So women could have the HPV vaccine and still become positive to HPV. And so this is where I think it's really important to know that because anytime you, you yes, you could get the vaccine, but you want to be prepared that 
you yeah. still are susceptible. You're still going to want to be knowing how to protect yourself. And there's some people out there who are still judgmental of other women. You know, so there's some people out there who are saying, hey, those of you who are getting HPV, you should have just gotten the vaccine. And to me, that's a very judgmental perspective because they there's many women who got the vaccine, still got HPV. And, it, and so I think I'm trying to put the information out there so that we can come together as women and be supportive and say, hey, it's yes, a vaccine is one possible tool that can help in some cases, but it's not 100%. We need to be thinking outside that paradigm and be saying, what else can we do as women, helping other women, helping each other? How can we protect ourselves from this virus? That's how I approach it. And that's how I've been approaching it for the past couple decades. Oh my gosh. Okay. I want to dive in really deep. I want to take one step back so all of our listeners can understand how incredible you and your journey like together has mm-hmm. been. So where did your healing journey start? So we, we talked a little bit about the migraines and you're such, I love your midwifery approach to everything. You're like, let's not intervene unless necessary. And from like birth to HPV, but where in your life were you like, oh my gosh, there's another way. Cause your dad's a pharmacist, right? Yeah. So yeah. you saw things done probably one way growing up and then <laughs> here you come. What was that like? You know, uh, there's been moments when I realize I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like the rebellious daughter of a pharmacist, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like I literally grew up in a pharmacy because my father ran a chain of pharmacies. And so my childhood was always, we were either in the pharmacy helping him or going to, you know, everything was about the pharmacy and everything was ultimately my childhood was paid for by pharmaceutical companies because that's where pharmacies get paid from is from selling pharmaceuticals. And, and my, the bathroom cabinets were filled with samples from pharmaceutical companies. But the thing is that I think was even a surprise to my parents is that my father, the pharmacist always was talking about how to prevent the need for medication. You know, so at the dinner table when I was a kid, it was, oh, you should be eating your broccoli so that you get calcium to prevent osteoporosis. You know, you should be. So I was already, my dad was teaching me to think about prevention and food as medicine from a young age. And I don't even think he realized he was doing that, but that's what I was hearing. Um, And my father also loved the outdoors. Um, and so he always had my sister and I out, we were skiing from a young age and hiking and, and camping. And, you know, so I was, he always had us in nature. And so my childhood experience, yes, was in the pharmacy, but it was also very much connected with how do we prevent health issues by feeding ourselves and doing activities that help us stay healthy and hopefully prevent the needs for medications. And so actually in my childhood, I rarely took a medication. I think I only had antibiotics for like two days. Oh my gosh. It, <laughs> so it just, because he came at it from this perspective of we only need, yes, it, we're grateful for medications, but we only going to use them if we really need them. And so when I was, I was getting my bachelor's in science, I started becoming really interested in nutrition and decided I'm going to get a degree in nutrition too. And then I was applying to medical schools. And then I thought to myself, isn't there a medical school that actually 
pays attention to food as medicine. And a friend of mine answered that question for me. And she said, well, there's naturopathic medical schools. I had never heard of that, even though the textbook by the naturopathic medical school president and founder was sitting on my father's bookshelf. I had not heard of naturopathic medicine. <laughs> so I was like, that sounds like it was just perfect for, I was like, that exists. I can't believe it. And so I, this is before Google. So I had to get in my car and drive there, but I drove to the naturopathic medical school and I didn't even drive to the closest one. Cause I didn't know there was one closer. I drove, drove to the further one <laughs> and I walked in and I'm like, I would love to study food as medicine. And they were like, well, you just came to the right place because that's what we do here. Oh, and, um, by that point, because I was, in a pre-med program, I was doing internships with all different surgeons, gynecologists, orthopedic surgeons. I had been in all different medical specialties and, and surgeries by that point, and I was still in college. And I knew, I fell in love with women's health. I fell, fell in love with gynecology, with, I, I learned that midwives existed through um, the gynecologist that I was interning with. And so I just, it became very clear to me that I wanted to become a midwife and I immediately, as soon as I could, became a doula. And so I knew that I wanted to go down that path of, of women's health and naturopathic medicine. When did you, so you were in naturopathic medicine school, were you a doula while you were a student? Tell me a little bit about your birth work. I also have a background as a doula. So I'm like, I knew this woman was my soul sister when I saw her on Instagram. <laughs> It's a, it's amazing, you know, as doulas, like, I think that doulas are a perfect example of how do we support, in that case, we're supporting women in labor, but mm -hmm. how do we support a person with compassion and information? Um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And we can apply that in so many different ways. We can also support people in that same way through the death process. That's what hospice cares a lot, right? We're being this information and support in the processes that humans go through, in, in sometimes the stressful processes that humans go through. So it was being a doula really matched my personality and my desire to help. And, um, and yeah, so when I was in nature, I was at Bastyr University in Seattle in the naturopathic doctorate degree program. I also I, I was also I trained as a doula, so I was doing doula work as a student before because I I couldn't start my midwifery training until I was in later years. So I was like, well, I want to be at birth, so I'm going to become a doula and be a doula until I can become a midwife. And then I started doing midwifery training. So I was doing them side by side, which meant I really was not getting very much sleep. <laughs> It was, I was in, I had extensive number of credits and then I would be called to a birth overnight and then I would have to get back to class the next day. Um, and so it was, it to me, that was some of the most stressful times of my life was just pushing myself to get through all of that as much as I loved it. It was a lot. And there were days when I would wake up and I, I didn't even, I couldn't even remember what I was doing or what I was how to put my key in the engine in the ignition to start the car i'm like what the heck it gave you like a real life practicum it's like okay here's our clinical i'm gonna like wear you out so do your health take a turn at this point or what happened yeah yeah then i was i was already getting some migraines but then the migraines just started getting worse and i'm also a very sensitive i call a sensitive person maybe some of you can relate where you know can relate. <laughs> yes. 
I would I would go to the naturopathic clinic and I'd be like, I'm getting menstrual cramps, I'm getting migraines, I'm getting, and they would give me the naturopathic treatment because you can go as a student and you can get herbs and nutrients and you get your naturopathic protocol. And then I would go home and take this stuff and I would be vomiting. It would make me throw up. And I'd be like, what am I supposed to do? I can't take the B vitamins. I can't take the liver support that you're supposed to be able to take to help with these things. Then I would go to the acupuncture clinic and acupuncture helped me a lot. I still go to acupuncture to this day is very helpful to me. Um, and that made a big difference, but I was always in a situation where I was trying to understand when we have those sensitivities and our body is telling us, Hey, some, this is supposed to be good for me, but my body doesn't know what to do with it. What can I learn from that? How can I then move beyond it? And I, and so I look at my journey of learning how to solve my migraines was really a journey that helped me teach, that taught me about heal, through healing my body, how to help other people. And not only just other people, but other people who have a sensitive system, sensitive nervous system, sensitive metabolism. And I, along the way, learned that, you know, I have gluten sensitivity and I had, you know, severe leaky gut and dysbiosis at one point. And I, then I learned I had MTHFR gene variations and I have uh, collagen genes that caused me to have hyper, joint hypermobility. So that along the way, I would learn and I would learn what toxins I was exposed to and how to detoxify myself without making myself feel worse. And so this is over a couple decades. I mean, I graduated from Bastyr in the year 2000. So over that time, I was able to get the migraines to stop happening. And in the process, really learned a lot about how to help patients, not just migraines, but with many other health issues, including HPV. What was for your healing journey in particular, and then we can switch back to HPV, like what was it for you as a sensitive body, as a highly sensitive person? You're like, that was it. That Those things, these pillars are like really what helped me get my health back after years and a time period of really serving others. I mean, so many of those things I just mentioned played a role. So I think, you know, like really figuring out how do I know which food sensitivities, how do, I mean, this is 20 years ago, I was identifying gluten sensitivity and leaky gut and how to heal it. So that, you know, these are things that have been going on for a long, long time. But I would say that even through everything I was doing, like there would be moments in the midst of having a severe migraine that I would realize I have to heal my vagus nerve. And then I would go, oh, I need to be deep breathing. I need to be putting cold on my forehead. I need to be everything that can help my vagus nerve heal, right? So these were all steps in the process. But I would say one of the key things that to me was really an aha moment that I think other people might be able to relate to was that for many years, I was embarrassed about having migraines. Mm. I wasn't telling anybody that I had migraines. I wasn't telling, I wasn't telling patients. I wasn't telling my friends. I wasn't telling my colleagues. I was just dealing with them on my own. And I mean, I would go to, maybe if I went to a doctor's office, I would say I had, you see what I mean? But I was very, I kept it very private. And I think a lot of people do that with our health issues. We don't, we're embarrassed or we feel, you know, like a, like we're not supposed, to, I didn't feel like I sh I'm like, hey, I'm a naturopathic doctor. I'm not supposed to be having migraines. So one day I just decided enough of that. I'm going to start talking about it. And I just started telling everybody. I'm like, I'm going to see what happens. 
I started telling people I get migraines. I start vomiting when I get migraines. I it goes on for days. It takes me a long time to recover. I've tried so many things. It's they still they're less, but they still happen. And the more I started talking about it, the less they started happening. <laughs> You're like, we just want to be seen. Yeah. What is it like for you? It's this is so fascinating. I'm, I'm sure you're like, oh, these kids on the internet, like my generation of practitioners being like gluten in the Vegas turf. And you're like, guys, I've been talking about this for a long time. It's, it's really cool to see. I wonder what that's like for you to see this like information is new and you're like, it's not new. <laughs> for so many years, I just wanted the information out there, which is why I, I mean, my website has existed for over 20 years. I've been, Right. I've written over 600 blogs and, and I've, and I've written five books. So I, my whole focus was, I wanted to create awareness for this. I wanted, I, I feel like why should anyone else have to struggle and spend as much money as I had to spend to get this information? Let's get the information out there. So when I see other people talking about it, I'm like, so happy because it says to me that in my lifetime or definitely in the last 20 years there has been an increase in awareness there is an increase in information people do know about this that they didn't know 20 years ago and so i'm i'm excited i'm happy to see that people are benefiting from that information and that just speaks to your heart as a provider because i felt that when we connected on the internet, I was like, wow, she's so supportive and like encouraging other practitioners. And I think plenty of people take a seat of, I have been talking about this and known this and you're like, I just want people to feel better. So that that's amazing. So coming back to HPV and one thing that I lit up about when I was reading your work and diving into your blogs and your speaking and your books, I was like, she talks about viruses being a precursor to a lot of chronic conditions, anything from HPV to what HPV can lead to cancers. Is there, I don't know your, your, your stance in particular. So I want to ask you on the podcast of like, how do you feel about viruses and what they're doing in the body? If, if we're not managing them and then how would we treat them? Such a good question because, and I want to point out that like so much of the time it's tempting for us to put the focus on the virus, right? Like whether it's COVID virus or Epstein-Barr virus or HPV virus, we tend to wanna, and I think it's just the way our human brain works, right? We're trying to go, we're trying to say, okay, here's this virus. First of all, is it the cause of everything? And if I kill it, is that gonna fix everything, right? Like we're, we're still kind of, it's almost like the psychology of looking for the magic pill. We're looking for that, what's that one pill or one thing that's gonna solve everything. And that's where I, I just have learned over the years that things are more complex than that, like the migraines. I couldn't just, you know, I couldn't just take one pill and it all goes away. It wasn't just a single thing. It was, I had to look at the big picture and keep on asking, keep on digging. What's underneath that? What? What? So I start using the terminology of like susceptibility. What's making a person susceptible to any virus, any particular virus, or for that matter, like we could go to Lyme disease and, you know, any kind of microbial imbalance. And even now that we know about the microbiome and how important it is to 
we can't just make it black and white. We can't just say all microbes are bad, right? Because no, not all microbes are bad. There's there's our healthy gut biome. We need it to keep us healthy. Um, even not, you know, we, we have to expand our acceptance to say, hey, we're gonna have these viruses in our environment. HPV, for example, we're most all exposed to it. I just talked to a woman a couple of days ago. Again, she's like, listen, I only had one sexual partner and I don't smoke and I don't take a birth control pill. So she's like, I don't meet the criteria that stereotypically are associated with HPV. And I said to her, I hear that from most women I talk to and most women will say, I eat healthy, I exercise. So they're like, well, why do I have HPV? And I think it's because we were taught for so long that these were the common criteria for HPV, but I'm here to say we were wrong about that. Yeah. That, that's, it's, it's, so just for you, those of you who are like struggling with why do I have HPV? We have to turn around and say, HPV is part of our environment. Most, all of us are gonna get exposed to HPV. It's not about exposure. We're all getting exposed. Mm -hmm. Even if you have one sexual partner, you can be exposed. So it's, it's not about being hard on yourself for being exposed. The human experience involves exposure to viruses, including HPV. So then if we can't just, it can't just be about trying to avoid exposure and it can't even just be about trying to kill the virus. It has to be about how do we become resilient? How do we, because we also know that the, but the humans, the human immune system, the human body can protect us from this virus. Yes. Our, we know that, that women, it's been shown in research, women can bend off this virus and get the virus to test negative. Happens all the time. Only about what we think is about 10%. I think it's a little higher than that. But they say, based on a study from a decade ago, they say about 10% of people will have HPV, will end up developing abnormal cells. That's only 10%. The other 90% are fighting it off. Mm -hmm. So the way I think about it is how do we all get into that 90% group? How do we all help our bodies naturally protect us from this virus that's in our environment? And that's how I think about it. I became really attracted to what you were talking about with HPV because I hadn't studied it in depth like you're talking about, but I was having these autoimmune women who I was working with and we were, we talked about susceptibility and essentially making them an energetic mismatch for chronic viruses and conditions and stress and toxicity. And just on a whim, many of them a year or two later would be like, I don't have HPV anymore. I, was that related? Was that linked? And one of the reasons, this is recent, I was like, I know just who to ask about that. So whether yeah. you're targeting HPV or you're healing, I know you talk a lot about like MTHFR and adrenal dysfunction. How can, you said it really well in a post, you're like 90% of women go on to fight off the virus if the physician or the doctor managing their care doesn't suggest a hysterectomy first. You see that happen a lot. And then what what do you normally suggest? Like if a woman comes to you and she's like, I have HPV, my doctor said I should have a hysterectomy or should do this. Like what is their path that you could outline for them? The important thing to know is that it's really two different things. When there's abnormal cells, whether it's 
because the abnormalities on the cervix, we, luckily, and this is the, why I'm so we're so grateful for the ability to do a pap smear or a biopsy, is because we can we can catch it before it becomes cancer. Mm-hmm. So if if you think about it as like there's like five steps, you know, so if you catch it at like step one or two or three or four, there's so much we can do to to reverse that and prevent it from getting all the way to the stage of cancer, and. So when, say you get a pap smear or a colposcopy, which is a biopsy of the cervix back, and it shows some amount of abnormality, even if it is, you know, if it gets to cancer, then they're going to need to do not only surgical procedure, but likely chemo and radiation, right? So they're depending on the severity and everything. But even up to cancer, we want to remove those abnormal cells if they're beyond the CIN2. At this point, like if it's, it's just a little bit of inflammation or CIN1, then oftentimes, you know, most of the guidelines are to just leave it and see if your body will heal it on its own. Only if it gets to CIN2 or 3, then we need to get those abnormal cells off of there. So, and if the person already had their cervix addressed and it came back again, then that's when sometimes the doctor starts talking about a hysterectomy which is to remove the uterus, the cervix and the uterus. And the important thing to know is you can keep removing tissue. You know, you can keep removing cells. You can remove part of the cervix with a cone biopsy. You could do a hysterectomy and remove the cervix and the uterus. But the virus is still hanging out there. The surgical procedures do not kill the virus. Mm -hmm. So this is the whole separate other side of this is what are we going to do about this virus? Because I, I can tell you, oh, the painful, painful stories of women who had this procedure and the virus caused abnormal cells again, and then they had another procedure and this, the virus caused abnormal cells again, and then they had another procedure. Because you could have a hysterectomy and then the HPV can cause vaginal cancer. Yeah. So just removing the abnormal cells isn't helping with the virus. Mm-hmm. And so I help guide women how to address those abnormal cells, and there's some options there. And how do we actually help you fend off this virus so that it can't just come back and cause abnormal cells again? Yeah. Okay, I have a question that's a little bit of a segment. I'm thinking of your midwifery mind, and like probably in labor, you're not like, let's check that cervix every hour on the hour. When it comes to PAPS, what is helpful for a woman and what is too much? Like what is a protocol or a a rule of thumb that you recommend for how often a woman should be getting a PAP? It's a great question. And there are some guidelines based on age and, and also, you know, sexual history and whether you've had any abnormal PAP smears, that's all going to influence it. Um, I would say that, say, I mean, I would, I'd probably say like, once a year is kind of like a standard. Although if someone has had a single sexual partner and you've had regular pap smears, you might space it out a little longer than every year. Um, But a lot of the women who I talk to have maybe waited a little long, like with the pandemic, a lot of women waited longer to get the pap smear because sometimes it was their doctor wasn't even available during the pandemic. And so right now we're seeing women who didn't have a pap during the pandemic, maybe went three, four years, finally got the pap and found out it was abnormal. And they're saying, I wish I would have gone in two years ago. So 
I would say if you if you know it's if you kind of in my mind, I'm always thinking if it's kind of been a year or even close to two years, I would go back and they they kind of say to women over 65 or so that maybe they don't need to get pap smears anymore. But I'm weary of that, too. I would be like because I've seen women who are 70 with abnormal pap smears. And even if you've had a hysterectomy, you need to get a pap smear because, again, the cells can be abnormal even without a uterus being there. So um, the thing is, like, say you do a pap and then there's abnormal cells, then the doctor, and again, it will vary based on the doctor. They might, depending on the severity of the abnormal cells, they might say, come back for another pap in six months. Or they might say, we want to do a biopsy and then come back in three to six months or come back in 12 months. And it can vary somewhere usually in that three months to a year, depending on the, depending on the doctor, depending on your case. Okay, I totally get it. You've been living with chronic symptoms and inflammation is wreaking havoc throughout your body. You've tried every therapy, every doctor, every supplement, every improvement plan, and you're still suffering with autoimmune disease. If you get nothing else from me in this message, hear me out on this very one thing. Your body can heal. And if you want more, keep listening. I'm Jen. I'm a holistic board certified nurse practitioner. I'm a functional energy medicine practitioner, and I have demonstrated that all disease, chronic and autoimmune, begins in the energy field. We're missing a complete system of healing in the medical field today, one that I am here to innovate and bring about. So I'm motivated because I've healed all eight autoimmune and chronic conditions in my own body, and then I went on to get my education as a doctoral candidate in the nurse practitioner program. And I'm here because I'm inviting you to be part of this groundbreaking research. I see what is faulty and ineffective in our medical system. And I've taken the symptomless program that I've created over the years through my intuition, through my own healing. I started working with clients, giving them this protocol. It works. And now we're doing an anonymous research study that I'm inviting 40 women to be a part of. So my passion is life work is to educate women in learning the root cause of their chronic illness conditions and leave the bogus nonsense behind that your body's attacking itself and you just have to live with your genetics forever. This is not true. We can make friends with our body and understand how we arrived at a state of disease from viruses, toxins, bacteria, parasites, trauma, all of this residing within our body. Listen, our bodies, they're not bad. They're not broken. They're not faulty. They're inflamed, they're crying out for help, and they can heal. And sometimes this healing looks like a daunting process. And most of the time, we just need someone to hold our hand and show us the way. This is what I needed so badly as I navigated through months and months and years of my healing. So now I'm offering you that helping hand. I want to expedite this process. I want you to have a new life in 12 weeks. I want you to completely change what you understand about your body, the tools that you have, heal your body from the inside out, head to toe, top to bottom, and get rid of autoimmune symptoms for good. So if you're ready to truly heal, and I want to invite you to be a part of this autoimmune symptomless healing program where spirit will meet science, a place where my years of clinical experience as a nurse practitioner now meets my doctoral research, and this is going to go hand in hand to change the medical model for autoimmune women. If you get to be a part of something really, really special at a really cheap price, we're never going to be able to offer again because it won't be non-profit research. So if you're interested, check out the information from below, and I promise you, 
been wanting to heal September's autoimmune disease for good, this will work. I promise. I tell all my clients that, and those who put forth the effort and engagement in the program have never told me that it doesn't work. So join us. Doors close September 15th, and we would absolutely love to have you as part of this program. Having those routine paps are a way for women to essentially see a vital sign that's hidden most of the time. And then if they have something abnormal in that three to six to 12 month waiting, that's when they really should be coming for support and talking to someone like you being like, Hey, the doctor said just to wait it out because the doctor's next mainstream medicine's next intervention will be surgery, right? Or chemo radiation. But you're saying there's something we can do in that interim of the waiting that can change the game for women. What does that look like? And that's exactly it is when, when, you know, women are getting the test and then the doctor saying, come back in three months or come back in six months. I look at that as great. That means we can implement a protocol. We can implement changes, whatever we decide we're going to do for your case, we're going to implement. And then you're going to go back and recheck. <laughs> and when we go back and recheck a PAP or colposcopy or both, it's to evaluate our progress. You know, are the changes you're making working? Are we getting the cells to reverse? Are we getting the HPV to negative? And so um, now I look at those rechecks as a chance for us to really assess the protocol and fine tune it for you because that's when, when, we, when we're really strategic like that, that's when the women that I'm working with are getting results because they become proactive instead of being in a state of fear about it, right? Like instead of just going, instead of just doing the watch and wait thing where we're like, oh my gosh, I have this virus, but my doctor says I just have to wait and come back. That's a fear state. And we know fear just perpetuates the issue. I always say HPV loves it when we're stressed HPV loves it when we're in fear. It's just setting up the environment for that virus. It's like, and that's what makes me so, you know, so motivated to say, hey, and it's tricky, right? Because it is scary. It's a virus that can cause cancer. So it's not about dismissing your fear. It's about saying, okay, yes, this is a real situation, but we want to take that and shift the fear into empowerment. We want to say, hey, I want to become proactive and do whatever it takes to help my body fend off this virus. And then I'm going to, and it's not about avoiding these procedures. It's about embracing them and saying, hey, I want to go back and get rechecked to make sure that what I'm doing is working. Yeah, that is so nice to know that there's like a, and women can just go to your website, reach out and say, hey, just got a pap. It's abnormal. I need some support. Dr. Donnie, can you guide me through this process? And you're like, yes, I have just the container. I know just how to get you started. And we don't have to wait and we don't have to live in fear and we, we can change our health. And I always see our symptoms as like the greatest blessing. So women might come to you for abnormal cells or HPV, but like, what are they getting even more so when they heal their body? Like, what are they discovering is now available for their health or vitality? Well, and you touched on this event. I, lo I love what you said earlier, that it's, it's not just about healing on the body level. It's about healing the mind, body, and spirit. And those are the real transformations I see women experiencing is when they end up taking this as an opportunity to pivot in their lives, yeah. to 
say, hey, wait a minute. I've been kind of noticing things I'm not happy with or that are stressing me out. But because of this HPV, I'm looking more closely and I'm more willing to create changes that I maybe was, you know, procrastinating or kind of dismissing before. And so women are like really creating amazing changes for themselves. Plus, to create an environment where this virus is not happy, we need to be addressing nutrient deficiencies that maybe women didn't realize they had, uh, hormone imbalances that women have been just, we've been normalizing and dealing with, but it's like, no, we can address these hormone imbalances. We can address neurotransmitter imbalances. We can address microbiome imbalances, including vaginal microbiome. The, there's ways we can help rebalance the whole system and not just again on that physical level but even on an emotional level if i see a lot of women who have experienced abuse and trauma uh, including narcissistic abuse as a very common for and they show this in research too that women who've experienced abuse in childhood and adulthood you know and or adulthood and narcissism in their lives in their relationships or in their families or in their work environment are more susceptible to HPV. So to me, I really see that it's a, it becomes for those women, it becomes a process of not just recovering from HPV, but recovering from narcissism and abuse. How do we recover from that emotionally? We also know those things affect us physically and spiritually. And so it, it is like you, I call it the heroine's journey. You know, we, you, you, you gather information, you have a guide to guide you, you, you look deep inside, you learn for yourself about yourself, you, you actually take your own body back and you learn your purpose and you come out the other side more in love with yourself and more able to take care of yourself. And when you get to that place, HPV virus, it, it, it just walks away. It can't stand it when we're healthy. <laughs> To go get my next pap right now, and I want to talk to Johnny, and I want to go on this journey. This is this is like so hopeful. Like we have another option than just wait and fear. So if you were to tell our listeners today that maybe they know their their pap status, maybe they don't. Maybe there's good and bad to their health history. Like, what is the number one thing hurting us? when it comes to our health and what is the number one thing helping us when it comes to our health, like somewhere they can just start to get their, their whereabouts and their grips on to begin their journey, their heroine's journey. Mm. You know, I look at it as so individualized. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I really want to invite you to think about it for you. And that's a big piece of it. We're not used to, listening to our own bodies and listening to our own selves. You know, we're so used to what is someone else doing and I'm going to follow what someone else prescribes and, you know, it's externalization. And what I'm really teaching is how to know yourself. I mean, and I think, again, I learned this through going through the migraine experience. I can tell you, you know, for how long I battled with the migraines, I was, we're in a, we can become in a battle with our own selves, our own bodies, you know? And so how to realize, hey, are, are you in a battle with your own self and in, in, a, in feeling like you're in a battle with this HPV? You know, why am I still getting these gut issues? Why does this have to exist? Why am I in pain? Why does this virus have to be here? You know, this is like, 
we're in a battle and how do we find a place where we can say actually let me practice loving myself loving my body loving my experience it doesn't mean that everything you went through is you know it's dismissing those the pain and trauma it's about embracing that processing that and loving yourself through it and saying what do i need right now you know what really learning and not only just asking yourself but then choosing it and those are not easy things to do you know how do we go oh i need to go to bed earlier because i know that getting more sleep helps me helps my body heal but that's easy to say and sometimes harder to do you know if you're living with someone who goes to bed at a different bedtime now you've got to communicate with that person so they don't wake you up you know so there's there's it's a it's a process that you take step by step and all along the way it's about and i i come back to what i call care because i find that that's often where some of this like you said what helps us and what hurts us is coming back to i use the acronym care to help us see the c is for clean eating so how what is that for you you know what is how do you start feeding yourself in a way that works for your body again as an individual are there certain foods that are inflammatory for you are there there's some that we all know you know like sugar is going to drop immune system for all of us okay pesticides are going to throw us all off okay so we should all aim for eating organic as much as we can and avoiding sugar straight you know refined sugar as much as we can so we we start there and then we make it more individualized sleep again i a in care is for adequate sleep how do we little by little get better sleep and prioritize sleep r is for what i call recovery activities um recovery activities is many activities that have research behind them um things that i'm sure all of you are already doing a little bit of anyway but it's reminding us to be like oh listening to music singing talking to a friend journaling uh meditation mindfulness of different forms spending time in nature laughter all these nerve activities i'm hearing you <laughs> just what can we do that actually helps us recover from stress and there's a lot of research on this and references i use in my book that help us as humans recover from stress and how do we choose those on purpose because we're not taught that we're taught to keep going and push ourselves and go beyond the stress and it's like how do we learn to integrate in those recovery activities into our day to day and then e is for exercise and that's really finding what's the right amount for you it it's there's so there's such a thing as too much of a good thing with any of this so there's such a thing as overdoing exercise there's such a thing as overdoing fasting there's you know because now we're just creating more stress on your system so it's about how to know your body and where you're starting from and go little by little while listening to the signals from your body so that you can implement care that's going to be helpful for you but implementing it in a way that works for your system and doesn't stress you more i want to highlight something that you just did for us and the listeners that i believe is like the true trademark of a powerful practitioner and healer is i asked you a question and you could have been like here's the expertise but you're like teaching us to bring back our power into ourselves and listen to ourselves and that is such a gift and 
I mean, you, you are a gift to women. I'm so grateful that we have you on the planet right here, helping Aww. women have this information. So you talked about your book, you talked about your blogs for inquiring minds and women who are just thirsty to get their hands on this, to learn a little bit more, begin working with you. We're going to include all of this in the show notes. Um, but what are the, the two or three places we can send women to get started? Well, there's uh, my website, which is drdonnie.com. Donnie is D-O-N-I. It's short for Donnielle. Love that. Uh, so I, most people just call me Donnie or Dr. John, Dr. Donnie. And you can get there, D-R Donnie or spelled out Dr. Donnie. Um, but that's where you can find uh, webinars and podcasts and blogs about HPV and these other things that we've been talking about. I was talking with my team today and they're so the, – the, the challenge is there's so much information there, how to make it so it's easy to find. And so we're doing our best to make it so you can go and find, you can search based on, just go to my blog and search on a bunch of different topics, or you can- Just pick you, one and you will be enriched <laughs> from, from you. Yeah. And yeah, the, you'll find the books there as well, including the, my most recent book, which is Master Your Stress, Reset Your Health. I'm hoping to soon write specifically about HPV. So that's next on my, my to-do list. But the Master Your Stress, Reset Your Health book covers, I wanted to be broad and say, how can I help as many health issues with this perspective? And that's what you'll find in the Master Your Stress book. We're so excited for the existing literature and the ones to come. Do you have a moment for some rapid fire, some fun questions I like to ask so that we can warm up to you? Okay. So do you know your Enneagram number and your astrology? Oh, I have done it, but I don't have, I don't remember it off the top of my head. That's okay. Either one. Perfect. Um, what about your favorite indulgent food and then your favorite healing food? So like a Monday morning, I'm back on it versus Saturday night. It's the weekend. They might be the same because my, my, my probably most indulgent food is, is chocolate. I like love dark chocolate, but it's also very healing, full of flavonoids. Amen. <laughs> so um, I look for many ways to get dark chocolate, including uh, cacao. One of my latest favorites is to get either cacao straight from, like straight from the Amazon is even better. Um, or cacao powder where I can mix it with hot water and make like hot cocoa. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a cacao lover or chocolate. I am too. And even, even better that it's full of antioxidants. Um, so when was the, the proudest moment or a few moments of your life, Dr. Donnie? Say that again, the, the Which proudest, the proudest. <sighs> wow. That's a great question. Um, you know, I was going to say related to my daughter being born as one. Um, my I my daughter was a, born at home. She was a home birth, home birth, and it was after I went through all of my training as a doula and a midwife, and then um, you know came to New York and and had my daughter as a home birth. So that was really it made me so happy that I went through all that training. I did a lot of training more than most people in order to have a home birth. <laughs> um, and then um, my granddaughter was born just four months ago. And um, that was also so I felt so proud because I really wasn't sure 
even with all of my training and background, I'm like, how am I supposed to help my daughter have a baby? Like, that wasn't part of my training. <laughs> and um, to be able to, she had a hospital birth and it was a vaginal birth. Um, but to be able to be there with her, with her midwife and her gynecologist and guide, help guide her through that process of having her daughter was really something. It's like one of those full circle moments. Yeah, like the lineage and you were her doula in a sense, like, but also yes. her, her mom. That's amazing. Uh, that mm -hmm. makes me happy. Okay. I'm, my brain's like, can't leave this on a cliffhanger. When is the month and date of your birthday? So those. Okay. You can help me figure out. Okay. If I know. <laughs> I'm a Leo. I'm a Leo. I'm August 2nd. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You're a Leo. That makes perfect sense. This is mm -hmm. like your career. You were built for, for being on this podcast and helping empower women. Okay. My last question. I'm a Gemini. So this is probably like a Gemini thing. I'm like, how many books do you have on your nightstand? And what are they, or what are you currently reading? Maybe you have just one. I'm reading like five things at once at all times. A lot of times I have, and they're usually um, between my coffee table and my sauna and my bedside table. They're, they're usually spread out in different locations. And then that bathtub. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so I try to put the book for that mood in that location. Yes, um, yes reading books is another stress recovery activity. Um, the one that I'm really enjoying recently is is Lighter. It's called Lighter, um, the Young Pueblo book. Oh. And it's it's his perspective um, on his healing process using especially meditation and mindfulness. But he really makes brilliant points in the self-discovery and self-healing process. And so every time I'm reading it, I'm like, wow, here's someone who's writing about what I've experienced. And it's and it, it's it's just that cool experience, you know, where you're like, wow, I love this book. It's saying what I've experienced and it's very validating. That is so great. And it's really a breath of fresh air when there's a practitioner and a provider out there who's like, I'm furthering my deep discovery process. I mean, PubMed has its, has its value. Like it's great to keep up on the research, but like when you have a medical expert, who's like keeping up on the self inquiry process, that's a gift. So those yeah. are my favorite books. Yeah. <laughs> so much for your time today. Thank you for your life's work of giving women something that they can do in the waiting, another option to the HPV puzzle. And we will certainly be including all of the, the resources and ways to get in touch with you in the show notes. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Okay. See you soon.